Welcome, dear listener, to Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. Set aside some moments now and take an adventurous ride on a journey into the psyche of some talented writers. They will dig into your being and titillate you. Oh, I love that word, titillate. While the stories may not all take place in the heartland, I am delivering them to you from the heartland. My intention is to strike fear and confusion into the mind, soul, and yes, the heart. This is Fear from the Heartland. Hello, Heartlanders, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 25 of Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. Hey, Heartlanders, you guys patrons yet? Visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to join the club. You'll get ad-free versions of this and all our other podcasts, including hundreds of standalone releases from our audio archives dating back to 2012. It's a great way to show your support, and you get a whole lot for it. Two competitive silkworms decided to race. It ended in a tie. <laughs> I was talking to a buddy of mine. He told me, My dad was so competitive that on his deathbed, as he breathed his last, he said, Staring contest, go! Life can be very competitive, and sometimes it exists on a different plane, as we will find out in tonight's story by Eli Pope. Let's get after it. Who would believe a visit to a bookstore could change a normal day into a life-changing journey into your own past? Now pit that past with a stranger's past, both taking the very same path in a separate dimension. When the two converge and the final page shared, well, let's just see how Michael and Laura respond. And now for your indulgence, the book, page 122 by Eli Pope. One. The book. Michael clutched an odd and interesting book that he had pulled from the psychology shelf. The cover was a photograph which was used to resemble an old worn leather bound and very aged manuscript, complete with yellowed pages. He loved the mystery and fear about any horror and imagined this macabre looking bound journal must have been mistakenly placed on the psychological shelf he found it. He enjoyed reading anything gory and nasty and believed trigger warnings were laughable. How could one consider being forewarned in their reading while living a life in the four reels with no warnings or premonitions of tragedies that may come at all? Bad things were bound to happen. It's life. He thought, fuck, I could get stabbed tonight after I walk out of this Barnes & Noble on the way to my car. There was no sign on the exit door warning of such a possible outcome and I'd laugh at the sight of it if it did exist. This book, however, looked interesting. It caught my eye. It needled at my sense of dare. He noticed the very attractive thin girl immediately. She sat in one of the only two chairs left in the reading area of the store. The chairs were, let's just say, very close together. Michael quietly wondered as he surveyed them how she would react when he squeezed in beside her. He laughed to himself as the scene played out in his mind. I mean, my ass will literally be in her face. Will she smile and give a, you're very welcome, wink, after the denim covering my butt invades her personal space? Or more likely, would she turn her nose away while covering her face from my ass attack and immediately look back down to her book as if she was so disgusted that I would pick the chair next to her even if it was the only damn one left vacant in the entire store. What do I do? What in fuck's sake do I do? She's hot. 
She's alone, and this is the only available damn chair in the place. What the hell? If she gives me that bitchy look, I'll just crop dust the area and let her choke in my angered gaseous scent churning in my stomach from my earlier taco hell dining experience. Michael chuckled to himself at his thought and suddenly didn't care what the outcome of Little Miss Hottie would be. I'm here for this book. With a title like, Dig In and Hold Tight, Somebody's Got a Surprise Coming. I held it clutched in my hand as I proceeded closer towards the chair. When Michael had picked it up to read the back blurb, he knew he had to take the challenge. That's what it was, a challenge. No one questioned his bravery, not in person, and especially not in book form. The cute girl looked up as Michael moved closer. He was just about to say, excuse me, when she nodded that it would be okay for him to sit. And then she smiled at him. No crop dusting today, Michael the ass train. Hell, he told himself, I may go in for her digits. He returned her smile and slid in facing her so it would be his crotch nearly brushing her face instead of his ass. She shuffled her book from her lap, scooching so he could squeeze in. Her book fell to the floor and Michael noticed that it was the same book he had walked over with. He flashed its cover toward her and said, Looks like we're both adventurers up for the challenge. She looked up just in time to get a face full of denim-covered genitals. Oops, sorry. She gave him a second or two to push past her before she leaned over and retrieved her book from the floor. As he nestled into the overstuffed wingback chair, she turned and said, No problem. I've had bigger things in my face. She giggled. But yes, I am a bit of an adventurer. No dare goes unanswered. Never has, never will. Hmm, makes a guy wonder. A look of mischievousness washed over his face, turning his usually pale skin slightly redder. What page are you on? She looked over to him after settling back into her chair and repositioning the book comfortably back onto her lap. I actually just picked it up and got settled in before, you know, I got interrupted. She half smiled, half frowned. So, we're starting off together? Awesome, I'm up for it. Guy against the girl, just like in school. The good old days. She laughed, said two words, and then winked. Game on. What's your name? Mine is Michael. I'd like to know who I'm competing against. Why would it matter? I mean, did you know all the opponents' names when you played football, or basketball, or whatever sport you played? If you did play, that is? She looked at Michael as if she were eyeing out her competitor's ability to respond on the fly. Come on now, I just wanted to know your name. Shit, it's not like I'm trying to bed you down or asking you to marry me. Michael shook his head as if he were offended, which he wasn't. It feels like you are. Guys are so easy to read. She smiled. Besides, maybe I'd rather be bedded down by a young guy whose name I don't know, and you maybe blew your opportunity to rub skin together because you took your shot and missed? If her attempt was meant to shut Michael up, she had no idea who she was dealing with. Michael was a lot of things, but he was no quitter. Struggle and challenge only made him act with more fervor. He thrived on challenge always had from the get-go. It's why he snagged the book from the shelf when he saw the title. He assumed this skinny and nameless hot girl must have some of the same qualities. Or maybe he was wrong and she was just a frigid bitch. Oh well, I guess it will be like your name. I'll never know. But of course my name is all you'll get to know now. And you could have had so much more. He finished scooching into his seat and preparing to open his book the one that was the twin to hers. He looked over one last time and said, Too bad. I think our skin rubbing together could have been something we both would have enjoyed. Two of a kind makes an interesting find. Michael smiled and then opened the cover of his book to page one. There were no credits page or chapter page, no title page either. Page one, right to the meat. Lara. She spoke quietly as she looked over and lightly made a kiss sound with her lips before turning her attention back to the book propped in her lap. She opened the cover to find the same. 
Page one, no credits or chapter titles, no explanations. Page one. Two, page one. I challenged you, and by opening this book, you, the reader, have accepted that challenge. We now have a contract which you entered voluntarily. There is no turning back. This is no ordinary book. It wasn't written by just an ordinary nameless author. There is no need to know who or what I am. Or where I come from. I do, however, commend you on your curiosity and bravery. Now I must insist you keep your end of our contract by completing all challenges within. I not only implore it, I demand it. These challenges encapsulated within these pages will become more absurd and difficult as you continue. There will be moments where you doubt and delay. This will count against your score giving your opponent a chance to best you. This day has not been stumbled upon happenstance. You were chosen like your opponent seated next to you was. You've been matched against one another. The winner will, of course, be given the prize. This prize will be revealed only upon completing the last page. The very last page. Moving beyond the page you are at, hoping to look in advance of what is ahead, is strictly forbidden. There will be overly adequate punishments for doing so. I recommend you deny yourself any urge to do so. I must remind you, you were chosen but not forced to accept. No power was held over you until you chose to pick up this challenge and move forward by stepping past the boundaries which held this book on its shelf. By moving forward with book in hand, you accepted the contract of complying to these rules. I applaud you for your tenaciousness. Now, turn and face your opponent, shake hands, wish them the best of luck, and then turn the page. It has begun. Nothing but reaching the end of this book or the failure of your adversary completing a challenge will change your outcome. On your mark, get set, compete. Michael I looked over at Lara as I reached out to shake her hand. I was speechless. I saw the same blankness in her eyes as her bright green irises met my deep browns. My heart pounded. I felt it deep in my chest. Energy pulsed throughout my body, like my track meet days when I knelt and pushed my foot behind and positioned my toes against the starter's wedge. Laura's eyes showed a slight fear mixed with determination. She looked much like a doe as the spotlight caught her face, locking her stance and sewn tightly between a choice of dashing off in fear or standing ground and facing off with the unknown, unable to calculate the outcome of what was to come. I felt the adrenaline rush. I felt sexual undertones bubbling up through my brain as if I were about to rub that skin together like we had just teased about. But I also felt a fear of that unknown entity that held me captive. As our hands touched each other in the handshake we were required to comply to, I waited impatiently to hear the shot ring out from the starter's pistol. I suddenly, without thought, hungered for this win with an unbridled appetite. I knew my legs and breath were ready to carry me to victory. Would Laura be my spoils in the end? I hope so. I yearned to taste her salty flavor she was forced to succumb to my acquisition through my win. The game became suddenly more than that. Winning was now all I could feel. It became my lifeblood as it surged throughout my veins, threatening to escape my veins through an explosive burst. All at once it became obvious that the space we now inhabited was completely black and empty, void of any boundaries of walls or windows, no doors or light of any kind, yet I could see Laura's face. I could focus on her eyes. Everything else was swallowed by complete darkness. I briefly wondered if she saw the same. I was like the crouched tiger in the brush, ready to pounce with any flicker of movement. I waited for the shot. I didn't understand the challenge yet. Had I read it and somehow missed it? Question began to set in and shake my feelings of the instant victory I had anticipated. 
Had I missed the fucking objective and failed from the starting gate? Where's the shot? Laura. Michael's brown eyes penetrated mine with a boldness that overwhelmed me. His presence was uninvited and forced me to feel submissive to him. I hated this familiar feeling. Aggression. Volatile and guiltless as the unwanted penetration began. His look gave me tingles as if I knew we would be tangled together, our bodies twisted and writhing in something neither of us would have control of. These feelings scared me as I knew them all too well. I suddenly knew I was destined to lose. Just like always when the faceless male entered my room. I had never given up any challenge, not even one day in my life. I had mentally fought so many internal battles through so many challenges already. A father who had sexually abused me more times than I could count. A mother who allowed every transgression because she was more focused on feeding her addiction than caring what was happening to me. A home becoming so broken, we lived out of our Ford Country Squire wagon, moving from one deserted parking lot to the next like nomads living in a bombed-out city. Being the only child in my grade school class that never had a family member attend any of my class functions like other kids' parents did, or, for that matter, never going to the same school for more than a few weeks before moving on. I wanted this win. I needed to win this. I had to prove to myself that I held value in this world. I wasn't just a disposable human being. I was special, like Mrs. Myers, my school counselor, had once told me so long ago. This opponent, Michael, looked like every other one of those fortunate kids who somehow had everything they needed in life. Parents who not only loved them, but appreciated the fact they were given to them as gifts. Those kids didn't deserve what they were given, being spoiled rotten, yet never appreciating the fact they didn't have to go squat out in the bushes to pee in the middle of the night or use a gas station restroom to rinse off the week's staleness from their bodies so the others in school didn't make faces as they pinched their noses and laughed when you walked by. I deserved this win. Michael had obviously already been dealt a winning hand in his world. He wouldn't have lasted a week trapped in my childhood. I looked over at Michael again, this time hoping he returned my glance with even an ounce of compassion. The drug I never knew except at its delivery from Mrs. Myers one time before disappearing into my past to be lost forever. I had actually thought I had felt something upon meeting Michael at first glance, the playful banter and flirting we briefly toyed back and forth with. Now, in my moment of doubt, I questioned why I'd even opened this book. Why had I once more spoiled something that may have played out being good for me, possibly saving me from my life filled with regret and tormented memories? I sheepishly glimpsed back at Michael one more time, seeing the boy who was now my competitor to the end, possibly even death. I'd never know. Not if I won, or he. One of us would be forced to be the loser, and as much as I wanted to be the victor, I resigned myself to be ready to steal a loss from the jaws of the victory I craved. That was how my life had been so far. Why would I fool myself into believing something would change? Why did I turn that page? Had I already lost? It dawned on me through all of my crazy thoughts about life and Michael and my not deserving a win that I hadn't even known what the first challenge actually was. Would there be a shot from a pistol? Or maybe a voice yelling out? On your marks, get set? Had I somehow missed it from the start while I was swallowed in the mire of my past? Silence. Darkness. I looked up and over to Michael one last time. Nothing but the glimmer of his hungry brown eyes, like a ravenous wolf thirsting the wind of lapping up my blood. This thought made me feel something odd. I suddenly felt lust. Why did I suddenly starve to be tightly held in his arms, his male part penetrating me wildly as I lay helpless and vulnerable? I had feared moments like these my entire life before, but now I craved to be ravaged. What's wrong with me? I'd want to scream out, Mama, I want to come home. But I remembered I wouldn't even know what home was or where the spot was that was portrayed as home, or, for that matter, what a mama really was. My hand suddenly felt the comfort of a book in my lap. Books had always been my escape from the reality I lived. My fingers wandered across its cover and over the side of the binding, searching until they felt the sharp edges of its pages between. Was I allowed to turn the page? 
Had I won or lost? Was this some kind of a dream? Had I been secretly dosed with some form of a roofie? So many thoughts and questions. My urge was to hold my wrist against a single lifted page and drag my soft skin across its length until I felt the tingle of the warm fluid begin to drip. My fingers tugged at the first page of the book I held, contemplating dragging the page to left, revealing the next. My mind wrestled with the should I or shouldn't I, like tossing a coin into the air and awaiting to see if heads or tails landed showing its appearance to me. I acted on its answer that seemed mentally delivered to me. I peered briefly at the wolf perched next to me, and then I reluctantly tugged at the page and folded it over. 3. Page 2 Michael was sitting in his chair, his copy of the book in his lap as if nothing had happened or changed. Laura the same, only a tear slowly slid down to where her lip met the skin of her face. That tear left a damp trail from the ridge of her duct down the curvature between her nose and cheekbone until it sat patiently waiting to spill over her lip's edge and into her mouth. She awaited its salty taste with anxious hesitation. She didn't understand what had just happened. Or hadn't. Who won the first challenge? She glanced back at Michael again to find he was just sitting like a meek puppy. He had been a ravenous wolf only seconds earlier. She had felt his famished hunger, hadn't she? But now, now he was just the young boy who appeared as nervous as he earlier had, sheepishly sliding in next to her at the bookstore. She slowly turned to face him. He twisted his neck towards her and their eyes cautiously met. A softness came from his mouth that felt so much different than what she had seen him as only minutes earlier. He quietly spoke. I... I don't understand. Do, do you? A blankness dropped from above like a stage curtain in a play. Beginning with his eyes and then moving down to his chin, a dull grayness fell over him. He appeared as if he had been vanquished, which led her to question him. Did I win? I don't understand. I was in position. I was... I was waiting for the sound... The shot. From the gun, or... He answered slowly as if each word must jump high enough to clear a hurdle. I don't understand. I suppose... You turned your page also? I didn't know if I was supposed to. I struggled with the... The question of... What would happen if I did, but... Laura responded quietly. Me too. I don't understand what the challenge was. It was never defined, was it? I don't know. I can't see the page to read what to do or what was meant or, or who... Who won and lost? We're both alive and here, so... Laura reasoned to herself, but aloud. The darkness began to slowly grow lighter and the books they held in their laps began to become visible. It was like a dim beacon of crystallized droplets alive with the sparkle of early morning sunbeams traveling down from the middle of the void above them. There was no way of defining where it originated. It just seemed to be from above. If overhead was truly even above in this place, one couldn't define any boundaries or gravity or any reference from the world they were once tethered to. There was nothing presented to them except for the sparkle of a glow that began illuminating the pages which lay opened in their books. Page 2 They both dipped their heads down as if a puppeteer controlled them by pulling strings forcing them to focus on the written words scribed onto the second page. You both succeeded the first challenge. We'll call it a draw. The challenge was to turn the page without any actual command to do so, facing an unknown and using your reasoning abilities to make a decision. Laura gained three points as she was the first to do just that. Objectives will be more clearly defined from this point forward. The next challenge comes in question form. You must be honest in your answer and not just give a quick response to gain points by completing first. Points will be deducted if the truth and depth of your answers are deemed as such. What is the one experience in your existence up to this point 
that you hold regret in responding the way you did. One, two, three, compete. Michael, I was curious about this challenge. I first thought, what fucked up bullshit is this? I wanted real challenges, physical, not these mindfuck games. I'm an athlete ready for an endurance challenge, not this mumbo-jumbo Dr. Spock shit. My mind felt blank, the only thought being a voice spoken directly to my ears from my brain. Dudes are not supposed to have to deal with this stuff. Laura's gonna kick my ass again. Suddenly, and without hesitation, a memory burst into my brain like a meteor plowing into the earth. Tommy Brogan, a best friend for several years before the incident. He was one of those guys you either loved or hated. He was self-absorbed and held no qualms about stealing something from you or throwing you under the bus or bogarting that last joint until there was no high left. My other best friend, Jim, couldn't put up with most of Tommy's bullshit. They mixed more like oil and water, leaving me the only element in our mix that somehow held the quirky bond together. They were the liquids that wouldn't mix, me, the vessel that contained them in the same space, even though there was seldom any real friendship other than the facade of such. Just three boys from three different neighborhoods who somehow found themselves sewn together at their seams. Fabrics not matching the others, yet stitched tightly, seldom pulling apart, but always stretching the mated fabrics to their limits. My incidents or memory where I wish I had acted out differently was a thing that happened between the three of us. We called ourselves the Three Musketeers. We were only kids, barely teens, never really looking for trouble. Just three kids from three separate backgrounds, three schools. Me? I was from a struggling mixed family. A stepdad, but still a man who seemed to accept me for who I was. But from my point of view, we were making it. Three stepbrothers, a half-sister, all younger than I, and only one blood brother, the oldest. He was four years my senior. I was number two, thirteen and a quieter wild than my seventeen-year-old blood brother. Jim was also from a broken home, but his parents were still both single both business owners and from the wealthiest and probably most stable background of our trio. Tommy had a brother and three sisters, all raised by their single mother who worked her ass off while her kids did whatever the fuck they wanted to do. There was no respect alive in their household. They kept their weed in a cookie tray, always under the couch, barely considered hidden. Did their mother know it existed underneath where she sat? I have no clue. She likely was too busy working hard and trying to keep food and rent paid to worry about such things as if her kids were getting high. Every one of her kids was as wild as a March hare, each in their own differing way, but each getting higher than a fucking kite whenever Jim and I showed up. Anyway, there was one night the three of us were out on a summer evening wandering the streets and getting stoned. We were doing our usual summertime clowning and laughing when we walked by a sweet vintage Mustang convertible parked street side. We all stopped and admired it, each certainly dreaming about owning such an awesome ride someday and cruising in style picking up chicks and doing stuff older high school boys did with them in the back seat. All of a sudden, Tommy pulled out a six-inch blade and unfolded it quickly, like a switchblade. Jim and I didn't even know he had it. Clueless. He had never showed us. I remember my first thought was wondering who he had stolen it from. Before any of us could say a word, Tommy stepped up between us and began stabbing the canvas top of the Mustang, attacking it in a fury of rage. A fit of jealousy or something came over him and took control. Both Jim and I were a lot of things at 13. Long-haired potheads hell-bent on doing what we pleased, but neither of us ever considered vandalizing anything. We were self-destructive. We never aimed our angst outward. The reaction I witnessed was a sight I couldn't have imagined. Jim immediately called Tommy out and of course Tommy shot back with, Fuck you, what are you, a pussy? Jim pummeled him right then and there. Luckily, I saw the knife fly out of Tommy's fingers as Jim swung at him several more times. Otherwise, someone may have died that night. Tommy got away from his clutches and rolled over on top, wailing away with abandon, hitting Jim closed-fisted in his face. 
I stood for a second not believing what I was witnessing. My brain just couldn't get wrapped around what was happening. A moment filled with laughter had quickly transformed into a question of what the hell is happening and then morphing into witnessing my two best friends practically killing each other. I acted. I did a running kick into Tommy's side with everything I had which rolled him over and against the now scorned and assaulted Mustang. I lost every ounce of self-control. I was a rage-filled machine. My fists were flying, making contact again and again, over and over. I was no longer myself. Vengeance took over my will to stop. Jim finally pulled me from Tommy's limp body. Blood covered the side of the Mustang and the pavement surrounding him. My hands were bloodied and cut. My breath was only a violent collection of gasps, sucking in and out like a poorly tuned motor full of fuel but starving for oxygen. Jim hollered, Let's get out of here! I looked at him, but not really understanding the gravity of what had just happened. What? You killed him, Michael. Look at him. I don't think he's breathing. We bailed. We ran. We left a friend we assumed was dead by my hand. And there was my moment of regret, my outcome I would have wished I could have changed and acted upon differently. I'll never forget the moment I let rage overtake my senses. I very well could have beaten Tommy to death that night. I was fortunate I hadn't as it turned out, but that was the night our friendships ended between myself and the other two musketeers. We each went our separate ways and I later found out that Tommy's life would get no easier for him to live. I don't believe I ever forgave myself until this exact moment. What an odd challenge. Facing a memory so buried in depth that I had erased it from its existence until now. I understood even less what this book was about now than I had when I picked it up. In that moment, the darkness quickly changed into a crimson red before becoming black again. And I found myself sitting in an otherwise empty gray space nothing but Lara's vacant chair sitting beside me. I had finished first, I surmised. Will she finish and appear in a second with another tie but fewer points? Or was it over? I sat in silent reflection of the memory I had shared. I suppose there was an entity who now understood a little bit more of the skeletons hidden in my closet. Whoever, or whatever it was, that now held control over my fate. Lara I couldn't think of anything. My entire life had been full of choices made by others and not me. I was born into a situation where I never held control over the life that I found myself trapped in. Everything was a reaction to what was dealt out from others, especially the two who I called mom and dad. Even responses made from natural instincts of survival seemed as if there was never any personal choice to be made. If you touch the hot stove, your finger reacts quickly out of instinct by pulling it back and placing it in your wet mouth to ease the sting. Submission was my answer to everything. If I close my eyes, the pain will eventually recede and leave. I held no clue how to answer this vague question. I had known no responses I had made on my own, not any that would matter if I changed it. The building pressure of wondering if Michael had acted out a valid fast reaction merely added more of a strain on filtering out something from my past I would change if I could. My brain felt as if I were shrinking back, receding into itself from lack of mental nourishment. I drew a blink, and I knew the points were likely piling against me. Michael was beating me. What the fuck? Can I not exceed at anything except for self-pity? I expected challenges based on physical strength coupled with the perseverance for victory. Mental games were not what I had expected. I was a mental mess, the collateral chaos from two parents with addictions that resulted in my pain. I was about to admit defeat when a memory slid into place. It suddenly felt like I had found that missing puzzle piece I had sworn was shorted from the box by an employee packing them just for the kicks of messing with me. After all, I had been kicked by every human being I had ever run across with the exception of one, my counselor. Well, for about a week anyway, I think my dad must have realized if we didn't move, his extracurricular activities would be forced to end. It was August. It was hot. I knew what was coming just by the look on his face as he pulled the bedroom door to the rental trailer closed. I saw Mama passed out on the couch, the needles still dangling from her arm, 
the rubber bracelet loose enough to let the poison flow. I also noticed the pistol on the nightstand beside the bed. It was still sitting in the same spot when my dad was finished raping me for what felt like the hundredth time. He pulled the door closed. I should have picked it up and pulled the trigger until the loud pops stopped, leaving him in puddles of his own blood. But I didn't. Instead, I kept living with more of the same hell for several more years. I should have killed that son of a bitch when I held a sporting chance of ending it, curing his sickness with his own gun by my hand. But I didn't. I let him live, and to this day, I don't understand why. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. I failed at saving myself again. The room began to lighten to a dull blandness. Michael sat in a chair beside me, and I couldn't even force a whisper to pass through my lips. I was empty. All I could do was attempt to read the expression painted across his face before looking down at the book, and running my fingers to the upper corner, flipping the page to the left, revealing the writing that would instruct me to the next challenge. Somehow, the sick answer I had given had been enough to send me on. I supposed Michael had succeeded also, though I doubted his answer came close to matching mine. The lights began to dim again as the sparkly beam began its trek back to spotlighting the next challenge. Regret set in for today, and where I was now trapped, but there was nothing to do but accept it and let it happen. This too shall pass. 4. The Next Page The Next Challenge Open your eyes and tell me where you are. Laura opened her eyes but immediately found herself squinting from the bright light. Several seconds passed while she cracked her lids open a little more each time, allowing them to become accustomed to the brightness. She heard traffic, the sound of voices. She scoured the view in front of her from left to right and back again. She was in a city. There were tall buildings filling the sky above her. She looked down to the sidewalk where she noticed her dirty and scraped bare feet. The dress hanging just below her knees was torn and tattered, stained. The memory that came flooding into mind of where she was was as filthy and ragged as her dress. St. Louis. She had heard her mama say the words, Bobby, we can't just leave her here. She can't come with us. But, but shit, I said no, babe. The slam of the door left the face pressed against the back window of the car as it pulled into traffic and slowly disappeared into the blur of the chaos. It was her last memory of her mama's face as she stood amidst the peripheral noise that left her feeling as empty and scared as the day the scene played out for real so many years ago. Dumped in St. Louis. Left to fend for herself. The room began to light up slightly. She apparently passed. Again. The rush of adrenaline in Michael's body seemed to rise and meet the pinnacle he was about to reach. He looked out across the filled seats in the auditorium before his eyes fell to the crowd closer to where he sat. All his classmates wearing the same green robes, the same green and gold tassels dangling from their mortar boards or academic caps. He'd actually made it. He had somehow passed his failing class at the last minute. Mr. Walker's class had looked as if it would be the lone hurdle holding him back from walking that final trek across the center stage. He wasn't sure how he had done it. He knew he hadn't earned it. There had been a cost involved. He just wasn't fully aware of what that was. Usually, life was a cakewalk for Michael. His parents had provided the best of everything for him. He had never wanted for anything. Life couldn't have been any easier with one exception. Mr. Walker his social environments teacher. Michael and Mr. Walker had clashed from day one of his senior year. Michael knew David Walker saw him instantly from the moment he walked through the door of his class as a boy of privilege. He had told him so in no uncertain words. You, young man, have lived a golden life without ever having to strive for anything given to you. You, son, are never going to just pass without providing yourself and putting the effort in to achieve your grade. Yes, they sparred from the very beginning. I may be the only one giving a life lesson to you. You won't leave my class clueless of how the real world works. Michael felt targeted by the teacher because of his status he held over all of his fellow students who crowded around him. He was naturally popular. Everything came easy for Michael. 
He couldn't have lived a more distant and differing life than Lara, although he was clueless that was the case. His senior year was the only struggle Michael had ever known before. This year was almost coming to an end, and it now looked as if Walker's class would be the only thing stopping him from graduating with his classmates, instead possibly forcing him to repeat social environments during the summer. The summer which was already filled with plans of travel to Europe like his father had done. Three months of hands-on life experience of being on his own in another country, but of course sponsored by the funds of his father's hard work. When Michael's father realized how David Walker was fucking with his son's future, he did what he had done Michael's entire life. He fought his battle for him, behind the scenes, taking care of business. As Michael walked up to receive his diploma, Mr. Walker stood beside the superintendent of the schools who was delivering the framed print of achievement. Mr. Walker leaned into Michael and whispered quietly enough that only Michael could hear him. This is the last moment of your easy life. Enjoy it. I promise your daddy won't be there forever to clean up your fuck-ups. He then reached down and clasped Michael's hand into his and squeezed. Firm was an understatement of what that handshake was. Michael knew it was meant to be a lasting memory. Michael looked up and into the darkness hovering over his head and simply stated, The worst day of my life? Graduation along with words from my nemesis meant to be anything but encouraging. He knew as the dimness began to be overwhelmed by the black that he surely had passed the challenge. He had named the vision he was given without any delay. 5. The Stakes Just Got Higher Page 8 Think of someone you could remove from existence, either you or them. Choose carefully. Your future could be affected. Go. Perspiration dripped from Lara's forehead. Killing someone wasn't supposed to be part of a challenge contained within a book that could be purchased at a Barnes & Noble. I can't do this, she said out loud. A snarled voice echoed back and almost a shout from the emptiness surrounding her. It came in a voice so cold and removed from anything worldly that she feared it was the devil himself, straight from hell. A drawn-out hiss came first. Hiss. Is this your plea to concede to failure, Laura Raylamp? This can all end now. A silence grew in a volume of emptiness that could be felt to her core like frozen pain to the bone. I'm waiting, Laura. Could she be persuaded to take someone's life? Is my life more valuable than another's? She asked herself, hoping not to hear an unwanted answer from an entity she now feared greatly. There was a person who deserved to die, if ever there was one. But could she actually do it? Laura's mind raced. And what about the statement of her future being possibly affected? It didn't matter. There was no possible way to find him anyway. He likely climbed inside a hole in the ground and died already. Laura closed her eyes and wept. No, her life hadn't been good. It was far from perfect, but now? Now she was making it on her own. She didn't have to count on parents who didn't love her. She no longer needed all the different foster families to try and change her and form her into someone she wasn't ever meant to be. She was actually having feelings of what she imagined were at least some form of happiness. She could smile now and make it through the day without feeling the pain and lying in a pool of tears. When she opened her eyes, everything had changed. The lighting, the mood, the scene, the people. She couldn't believe who she saw. Should she get up from her chair and go meet him? Confront him? Kill him? If she chose to do the latter, how would she perform the task? Could she actually accept the challenge that may forever change her life? She forced her legs to stiffen and be strong enough to rise and stand. Her legs ached as she stretched upward. Her right hip was extremely sore, almost cramped. When she moved her hand around to touch the pained area, she felt something hard and cold. She looked down and saw the black steel revolver that was nestled against her hip between her skin and pants, held in place by a plastic holster. 
The adrenaline began flowing, her arteries pumping blood from her heart so quickly she felt lightheaded and faint. Her chest ached as she stood frozen beside the chair, her fingers slowly tracing the smoothness of the weapon at her side. Her father just sat there staring out across the lake as if he hadn't a care in the world. Like all those horrible acts he had forced her to perform and the sickening moist heat between them had held no lingering sad guilt on him. She began to feel the sweaty memory of him lying on top of her. She imagined hearing the door open and then seeing the shadowy silhouette of her mother's face holding no look of shock or horror. Her breath quickened until she was merely feet away from the man who had stolen her purity and innocence, her fingers clutching the grip, her finger moving inside the guard ring and resting upon the trigger. As Billy Ray Lamb twisted from the seated position, he was perched upon the picnic table. He saw the hatred in his daughter's eyes. He felt the anger and hurt as the bullets riddled his body one after the other until there was nothing left but the sound of a trigger mechanism clicking through the now empty cylinders. Her hand had forced him into the death dance to the ground that he should have known he deserved. Yet, his bewildered stare wore nothing more than a confused blankness when Laura looked down into his cold gray eyes. He gasped as blood droplets flew from his lips. She saw he was trying to say something, and she looked closer, attempting to decipher the faint words between gasps for air. Was he apologizing for all his horrors he exacted upon her? In one moment of extreme focus, Billy Ray managed to force one word from his bloodied mouth. It seemed to draw upon every ounce of life left inside him, but it came out clearly. Why? Are you fucking kidding me? Why? You were supposed to love me as a daughter, not as your fuck toy. You and Mama created me. Why? So you could do the horrible things to me that you did to me? So Mama could know and do nothing because you got her strung out on drugs? Fuck you. I'd kill you all over if I could. She wanted answers to all of her questions that had plagued her from the very first moment her nightmare began, but she was never going to get those answers. Now she would be forever haunted with one more question that would control her and eat away at any happiness she could ever stumble upon. Did Daddy not even know he was doing evil things that killed me piece by piece? Could I ever love a man, or were they all cut from the same evil cloth? The room began to darken. Michael immediately had one person in mind. This person hadn't wronged him in the usual kind of ways. He struggled to filter through memories to find anyone other than the one soul who came to mind first. This was a conflicting moment for him. This person had given him everything he had ever wanted. This person had carried him on such a high pedestal that the feeling of any fall he may stumble to would be devastating because of the pressure and height he had been elevated to. For a fleeting moment, Michael thought about Mr. Walker and how he had alone almost kept him from graduating. Definitely the most recent assault on him that deserved a reprimand. But as he weighed the actions of Mr. Walker against his father's overwhelming expectations from him at even the earliest of age he could remember, he couldn't place the single act of one against the multiple acts of the other. Michael knew his father placed the highest levels of performance on him with love. His father only wanted him to have the best of everything, from possessions to opportunities. Michael's father only wanted the promise of a wonderful life for him. And there lay the rub. How do you kill a person who only wanted the best for you? But how do you reconcile your dilemma by taking out a person who only wronged you once and you truly deserved what you were given? Then it hit him. How was all of this even possible? Scenes coming and going, darkness changing into light, the girl popping in and out in this strange macabre competition. It wasn't real. None of it. He had been dosed with some drug. This was all in his head and the toxin would wear off and he'd either be found in the chair at Barnes & Noble facing one hell of a hangover, or he'd wake up in the mental ward downtown after being hauled in as an overdosed 18-year-old. Or third option, it was all a crazy nightmare and he'd just wake up. Michael closed his eyes tightly, hoping to squeeze his reality from his predicament, and then upon opening them, everything would be back to normal. Mind over matter. 
Michael hesitated, leery of just popping his eyes open, choosing to slowly coax them open while internally ensuring himself all would be back in place. T's crossed, eyes dotted. It's all going to be normal. Everything is back to my reality. I don't really have to kill my father. As he slowly began to open his eyes, the first thing he noticed was that there seemed to be light instead of darkness. This was a good sign, he told himself. One, two, three, and... Michael's father stood over him, eyes full of concern with a dose of anger hidden in the mix. Son, what the hell have you done? He immediately heard and saw fully upon opening his eyelids. I've given you everything. Everything, son. Michael tried to respond, but he was still in some kind of limbo, stuck partially inside his head while the other part struggled with what was happening. His eyes dropped from being locked into his father's and his vision trailed downwards, stopping on the blood-stained white business shirt his father was wearing. His dad's hands cupping the knife handle protruding from the center of the crimson-red saturated stain. He didn't remember stabbing him. Was this part of the nightmare? Had he really done something so horrible? I loved you, son. His father's eyes slipped very slowly, receding back under his lids as he stumbled to the floor. This book had cost Michael more than he had ever imagined. Tears filled his eyes as the room began to dim. He understood he had killed an innocence that didn't deserve to die. Michael realized in that moment he had been so spoiled and given so damned much so easily that he didn't fully understand what true love had meant. There had actually been a hidden lesson in the madness of this game. 6. The game continues, the pages turn. What Laura had noticed and Michael had was the fact that as the game progressed, they were both learning about themselves, simple traits and intricate feelings that remained in the shadows of their comprehension. The challenges seemed to be aimed more internally at them individually by the actual scenes and lessons they were given, no matter how harsh they appeared at the beginning of each page, stretching their perceptions of how far they would go to achieve the end and what lines presented would cause thought and hesitation before crossing them. Thank God there had been no more killing challenges after they had faced that monster and moved past. Yes, they both had slayed the beast inside that had mastered over them. They both seemed to struggle with what it all meant. Questions occupied each of their minds which hadn't existed before. Questions such as who was watching and why? Who was gaining? What was the real purpose behind it all? Would they both make it to the end and what would that end look like? Could they both survive in some kind of freak ending with no winner declared, no loser defined? They both knew they were at the mercy of someone or something. Whatever it was, it had purpose. Both Michael and Laura, strangers to each other before this odd entanglement had taken them into its grip, were competing, so they still hadn't learned anything about each other, but were diving deeper into their own psyche. Now more than ever before, they were both finding out the good they inherently owned along with the insight of areas that suffered from the drama and experiences of their past. Traits inherited or learned through life to this point, born from their heritage, surroundings, and genetics, they came. Before each new page was turned, in the empty moments of contemplation between closing a challenge and beginning the next, the two were able to steal glances from one another. It's amazing how much a focused second of shared looks into someone's eyes can bring. Michael saw Lara's fear, pain, joy, and anxiousness in those brief cobbled glimpses. There was no concept of time left in his comprehension. Michael was certain Lara surely felt the same anxiety he felt. It was heavy, very overwhelming. He imagined she had the same questions of where it all led. Emotions being tugged from the depths of their souls as if they were merely creatures living in the darkest waters and enticed by a chance nibble of curiosity from the bait dangled in front of them. The ensuing powerful struggle from being snared by the hidden hook snagging them each by their lip, making it now easy to reel their tired souls against all will. Pulled in and attached to the stringer and lowered into the dark cell that contained them at their keeper's desire. 
You have met the challenges and succeeded to this point. This is the final page. I commend you on your tenacity and honesty. At this finishing point in the game, I know you are wondering many things. You played honestly and with great valor. It is never easy to face one's demons. It matters not that a person believes they are ready to face their darkness. Skeletons long forgotten but hidden and dormant in the shadows seem to always rise being called upon. To face those skeletons gives passage for the movement of a possible change in one's future. Should you have failed in this challenge, you surely would have failed in life. You persevered and maintained your integrity. You were given very difficult challenges to force your acceptance of your internal monsters. The next chapter has not been written. It is on your plate to do so. Use the knowledge of your truly knowing who you are to help progress your journey. You know your strengths and you have faced your weaknesses. You have passed the test. You have moved on to the next level. The wisdom that will be left for you as you move towards completing your journey are 1. Always be true to yourself. Never move forward without asking this one question. Will this take me closer to where I'm called? Or is this merely a distraction or attempt at setting a trap for me to be caught and held back? 2. Forgive yourself. These actions you have taken did not happen in reality. They were merely illusions to rattle your senses and shake up your beliefs that may have not been brought to you in earnest. And finally, love yourself. How can you learn to love another in a way they should be loved if you have not first accepted yourself for who you are and how you came to be at the point in your path you stand? Love yourself for allowing life to happen around you and stay the course. Live. 7. Challenge accepted and conquered. Where to now? Michael's eyes opened wide. His first instinct was to look over to the chair where Laura had been seated. Seeing she was indeed still beside him and her chair wasn't vacant caused him to sigh with relief. Confident now that the words had been meant for the two of them. He had feared he was the only one reading and that the young woman he had shared this crazy, whatever it was, had not survived. He wasn't sure what he felt at this moment. The shock of what he had been through was just now setting in. Was it a sign that his first thought was for the woman who had entered into this contract with him, or was it just male reflex? Whatever it was, the one thing that bubbled over every other thought as he eyed her beautiful face was the fact he hoped when he spoke to her, her answer would match his hope. Michael then smiled and told himself, I've been through the absolute strangest, most fucked up journey that I've ever been on. A little humor of some kind to help lighten my load would be fine fucking-tastic about now. He reached across the empty space between them and cupped his hand over hers. He leaned forward just enough so he looked to his left. He could face Laura head-on. Maybe get a read on what she was feeling. She batted her eyes and glimpsed down and to her right to see who had covered the top of her hand. Michael was relieved to see Laura not pulling away from his touch even when she noticed whose hand rested on top of hers. His eyes slowly rolled up to the darkness, and he noticed something far different from the black he stared into this time as compared to the recent past. He now saw stars and planets. He appreciated the vastness above him with the colors that shone through the black and white, rising through the opaqueness. It almost appeared like a paint stroke full of blues and pinks were pulled across the dark palette, guided by an artistic and caring hand. He suddenly appreciated life more than ever before. He watched falling stars trace across a sky he had never taken the time to notice before. He remembered he was taught in science class that they were fallen planets likely collapsing into themselves many thousands of lifetimes ago and now passing close enough to be briefly viewed by us on their exit from our galaxy. Michael sat back in his chair, taking in his victory, hoping the spoils would be Laura. Tonight had to mean something in the end. 
He had been given everything he could ever want with the exception of Laura. She had been within a nudge of his thoughts throughout, but he never imagined winning her like a prize until now. He waited with as much patience possible. Laura drew a breath and quietly shook her head. The oxygen felt heavy with moisture and made it difficult to inhale. She felt Michael's eyes watching her with anticipation. She couldn't believe they both succeeded. As she began to turn and take it all in, the book slid quietly from her lap to the ground. She nonchalantly bent down to pick it up and when she did, she noticed a new page she hadn't noticed before. Her eyes spread wider as she read the short passage. Page 123 A tie in life is never possible. One opponent will always feel they were shorted in their victory. It may start out subtle, but the loss will brew until one day it will spill over. It is best to settle affairs quickly no matter the circumstances. Be brave and accept your victory. 8. To the winner go the spoils. Laura drew Michael into her arms. The warmth of her body brought his blood to a simmer. Her warm breath on his neck helped settle the gnawing in his craw. After all, he had been calculating points in his mind by the amount of times he had re-entered to his chair, finding hers still vacant. He knew he had won, and while charity is a good thing in its proper place, everyone knows the old adage, to the victor go the spoils, and Laura would be his spoils. He pulled her in closer to his chest, holding her tightly. She brought her lips to meet his and used her tongue to draw him under her spell. She pulled back just enough to rise on her toes to enable her lips to maneuver to his ear where she whispered softly, While it's wonderful that we both somehow managed to survive the challenges and finish together, with one hand she ran her fingers toward his chin, caressing his neck softly as her other hand traveled up his spine and rested just below his shoulder blades. She continued, One of us will always wonder, won't we? She whispered, I can live with that, no matter what. I feel like the winner, Michael responded. Laura's heart burned as he spoke, her hand pushing upward on his chin, slowly stretching his head backwards. She opened her closed eyes to find his also open and staring. Laura continued, I hate it, but... Without hesitation, she shoved Michael's chin upward with all her strength, pushing his head back past his shoulders where her resting hand stiffly held a double-edged blade just below the base of his skull. With a groan and an oomph, she forced the two to collide with vigor. The sound was nothing like she expected. It mimicked a honey melon being cracked on a kitchen counter. Laura's eyes sparkled as she watched the life slip away like morning fog dissipating from the pond's water's surface in the sun's heat. Five words lightly flew from her lips, Seeds being blown from a dandelion, spoken as she pulled away, letting him slide back into the darkness that now attempted to swallow the light. I won't lose again. Ever. I sure hope you enjoyed tonight's tale, The Book, page 122, by Eli Pope. Eli Pope is a major writing contributor for Fear from the Heartland. Eli began his love of creating stories back in high school creative writing classes. The passion laid dormant for decades, while life took him different directions. The stories never left, and he finally succumbed to the voices in his head, telling him to put them on paper. And put them on paper he did, earning the Literary Titan Award for all five books of the Mason Jar series. The Judgment Game, The Spark of Wrath, The Glass House, The Reclamation, and Snapshot Into a Killer's Mind, which you, dear listener, can hear on Audible.com, performed by yours truly, Paul J. McSorley. The only thing I will tell you, Billy J. Cater is a bad dude. You can hook up with Eli Pope at his website, elipope.com. That's Eli, 
E-L-I Pope, P-O-P-E dot com. He can also be located on Facebook at author Eli Pope or search groups on Facebook, The Mason Jar Room. If you enjoyed tonight's story hosted by yours truly, Paul J. McSorley, you can search my name on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for additional previous stories. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks. Available now on audible.com or just visit paulsbooks.net. That's P-A-U-L-S-B-O-O-K-S dot net. You can also find me personally on Facebook and Twitter. And with that, listeners, our weekly journey into the psyche has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And while you're at it, please remember to stop by our Apple Podcast page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and subscribe. The charts are based on subscriptions, not listens. So if you haven't subscribed yet, I'd really appreciate it. I'm your host for Fear from the Heartland, Paul J. McSorley. I've enjoyed the titillation tonight. Ooh, there's that word again. Thank you for joining me. Hope to see you again next week at Fear from the Heartland.